This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with Estella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with Estella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the Tuesday show where we talk about news from the restaurant world and a couple of restaurants that we've dined at recently. I am joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine. Mary Clarkson, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Eric. I'm happy to be here this early part of the week as we tape. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for doing this. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Batanga, a tapas restaurant downtown, has rebranded. It is now known as the Big Casino Kitchen and Bar. It's a new concept with new decor and a menu developed by Chef Ben McPherson that is built around mostly shareable plates along with some sandwiches and other kind of entree type dishes. We're doing steak night a couple times a week. The changes are uh, changes to the interior, but the most important thing is that it still has a massive 3,600-square-foot patio on the corner of Congress and Travis in Market Square. Mary, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but uh, do you have any fond memories of Batanga that you would like to share? Um, I went to it a, a handful of times, uh, usually for wine events, like a lot of industry uh, trade tastings I've been to here uh, and a couple of times when it's been open to the public. I know it was popular for its music uh, and dancing evenings. Um, I remember the food as being good, you know, like nothing, nothing great, nothing terrible. So I think a lot of times restaurants run their course and that was probably the case with this. And it's a nice way to pivot post COVID uh, to rebrand, you know, so I think that's probably a smart play. Yeah, no, I I mean, I remember when Batanga opened because it was kind of early 2013. I met Brian Fastoff, the owner, and his brother, Hank. They were kind of lucky in the sense that they got into that space at the same time that people like Bobby Hugel and Brad Moore were, you know, leasing spaces on Main Street that became, you know, next door to the original Okra Charity Saloon. And then down the street, there was... Uh, there was the honeymoon. There was Goro and Gun. There was Bad News Bar, Pastry War, uh, Little Dipper. All those places that were, you know, veteran operators from uh, mostly Montrose and the Heights, claiming spaces downtown, trying to kind of, kind of revitalize what was going on on Main Street. So, you know, in, in that sense, Batanga had had really good timing because it benefited from all this other activity that was going on around it. And I, I, like you, I mean, I, I I didn't go that often, but. You know, I enjoyed the food. I enjoyed the atmosphere. And and I agree that it's kind of time for, it was time for a refresh. And so the big casino uh, harkens back to its historic status as uh, the big casino saloon that operated in that space from roughly uh, the end of the Civil War until Prohibition. So, you know, it, you know, we don't, we don't have a ton of history in Houston that we celebrate. So anytime that we, uh, we have that opportunity to celebrate our history. I think that's always kind of fun. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think them switching to kind of, you know, judging by looking at the menu, more of an all-American type of concept. I definitely see this as a spot people might go before an Astros baseball game. You know, there's more emphasis on their cocktail program, it looks like, judging by uh, their menu and just kind of more broadly appealing rather than uh, one style of a concept that's maybe not as, um, you know, drawing from as wide an audience as they could be. So I think this is a little safer bet. The interior photos look like it's been, you know, updated in a contemporary refreshed way. And I think a lot of businesses downtown needed some love. COVID was really hard on downtown. So it's nice to see some revitalization uh, down here on Market Square. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the only other thing I just want to call attention to is that they're doing their steak night twice a week. Uh, Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, which I think is really smart. You know, 25 bucks gets you a a filet or a ribeye with smoked Gouda mac and cheese and a wedge salad. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me, uh, especially if you're going to an Astros game or leaving an Astros game. Uh, you don't want to pay. You don't necessarily want to pay for a bunch of marked up food at the ballpark. So it'd be a nice option for that. I agree. All right. Moving on to topic number two. Chop and Block owner Ope Amosu will hold the Chopped and Stewed Festival at Post Houston on September 30th. That is the day before Nigerian Independence Day, which is October 1st. So Ope is organizing an all-day food and music festival celebrating the African diaspora. And he's recruited what he describes as an Avengers level of Black chefs to help him do that, including Greg Gatlin, Don Burrell, and Eric Ajapong, who... Many people will recognize from Top Chef. He also was one of the co-hosts of the James Beard Awards this year. So yeah, Mary, I mean you kinda you kinda looked at the lineup, you kinda looked at what they've got going on. What do you what do you think about the Chopped and Stewed Festival? I like these types of festivals that we did that are kind of starting to come back again in a post-COVID world where people can get out and try a bunch of different things. Um I like that it's at the end of September, hopefully our weather is more cooperative than it currently is this very hot and steamy uh, summer. And I like that the I like the chefs that they're featuring. I love. I'm a big fan of uh, Don Burrell. Uh, on the ticket pricing, you know, I think I don't know. Everything is so much more expensive than it used to be, and I sound like an old person for saying that. Probably I don't know, but inflation is real. So is forty five dollars for music reasonable and eighty five dollars to eat? Uh, I feel like it should be lower on both accounts, but what do I know? And I don't know the cost of putting on a festival like this. So I, I feel like everybody should be in a position to make money, but you also want it well attended. So you have to balance that. Well, and you, and you also want to be able to cover food costs, travel expenses, all that stuff for uh, the participating chefs. You know, someone's coming from California. I don't, I think Eric Ajapong is based in Chicago, but, but please don't. Please don't hold me to that. So, you know, you know, these things have a cost. And so, mm-hmm. you know, $85 doesn't strike me as unreasonable. Uh, if you look at some of these other big ticket festivals, you know, Chefs uh, for Farmers tickets are on sale. That starts at $150. And it's, I'd like it if they uh, did tiers of tickets, you know, like general admission, VIP, maybe like another Well, there is. There's a, there, I think there's a VIP. I, I want to say that I don't have it in front of me. I think the VIPs are $135. Okay, so, so they have a tier. Some people can choose. Yeah. And then there's like a, there's like a $400 tier. If you want 
because they're going to do workshops and master classes. And if you want to, if you want full access to everything, you know, premium, a premium concert viewing area, all of the master classes, all of the food, everything, everything. I think it's four hundred bucks. So, someone who really wants to dive in on this, someone who who really loves, uh, who really loves chopping block and and knows these chefs, you know, I think I think it's it's that's available to them. But you know, this is Opie is someone who's achieved a lot of success. I mean, I remember when it started as a pop up, and now you know, chopping block, arguably one of the most successful restaurants at the Post. He's been on Top Chef. He was on with uh, Marcus Samuelson when Marcus Samuelson filmed an episode of TV here. He was on with Padma Lakshmi recently when she uh, did Taste of the Nation here. So this is a this is like a it's kind of becoming one of the faces of Houston food. And so using that status to to put together a festival, you know, like he said, he's been he's been traveling to food festivals all over the country and he's learned some things. And so you know he's applying that here and bringing it home to Houston to his. To his community, to the West African community, I I just think it's really cool. I think it's I, I love the diversity of it. I love the exposure for this type of cuisine, and it's so good for our city. I like seeing all of these different chefs and operators get national press that they very much deserve. Absolutely. All right, and then topic number three: Fiora's Bottle Shop, a new wine bar, retail shop, and restaurant, has opened in the Montrose Collective. Mary, you owned a wine bar and restaurant in Montrose. So do you have any advice for Fiora's owners, Natalie Navi and Amir Said? I do. I mean, I always like to kind of sit back and watch somebody develop and and then kind of see where their uh, strengths and weaknesses are. I think their strengths are some of the people that are running it. Natalie uh, used to work with Polly's, which is in the neighborhood, one of your favorite restaurants I know, uh, which also owns a wine bar Camerata adjacent to it. So she's got experience in this neighborhood and with this type of concept, um, what sets this apart a little bit more from your average wine spot is kind of their sandwich program, which might sound like not a big deal for some, but I think having food as a substantial component of a concept like this is really smart because it takes you out of just the wine category and makes it a spot where somebody might pop in for a snack, lunch, or even a light dinner. Um, And they have, you know, salads and labna and hummus and um, your typical cheese and charcuterie, the things that you would expect from them. It's a really pretty interior. It actually most closely reminds me of Another favorite bar of ours, which is Clarkwood, which is a totally different concept, uh, definitely more of a cocktail emphasis than wine. But this space is very welcoming and inviting. And it's the newest addition to Montrose Collective, which has had a lot of new um, openings here in the last few months in terms of uh, restaurant concepts. You know, I, I will say my mind would not have gone to Clarkwood just because Clarkwood is so intimate and dimly lit a daytime it looks very there's a lot of warmth that's true but fiora fiora's big windows a lot of greenery you know they're kind of they kind of want to do the indoor outdoor thing especially once the weather cools off so i will say they both have prominent young female owners who are really driving a lot of the the offerings and the energy and the design love Right. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, lady power going on 
for both establishments. So I, I do see, I do see a common point there, but yeah, I mean, I got to go and try some of the sandwiches. They're all very delicious. You're not necessarily like reinventing the wheel, but like, give me a, you know, a classic turkey sandwich. They're working with slow dough on the bread. So that's all good. You know, they've got like a, a bocarones with red bell pepper. If you want something a little more funky, they're doing a prosciutto, you know, instead of a BLT, it's a prosciutto, prosciutto and tomato. So an arugula. So they're having some fun with it. Um, their pro- and their pricing's competitive for what what it's offering, right? Like it, my pet peeve is wine concepts that if you don't serve a lot of food and they charge a really high price for their wine, I somewhat take issue with that. I feel like you should be able to charge more if you're offering more in terms of either the space or the food programming. So I think it's less expensive than 13 Celsius. I think it's more expensive than Montrose cheese and wine. So if you've been to either one of those spaces, that kind of gives you a parameter of of what the markup and and what the price points are here. But tons of different price points, affordable. You can get spendy if you want to, but you certainly don't have to. Yeah, and just talk about the wine list real quick because I I know you know their wine director. Sure. Um, okay, so I like on the inexpensive tip. You know, they've got some wines by the glass that I used to carry that. I like they have the Domaine de la Patience from the Tank Rosé. That's $10 a glass in Montrose these days. That's a, a pretty fair price for a bottle, of, um, sorry, a bottle, a glass of wine as an entry point. And then, you know, one of my favorite uh, bottles of rosé they also feature, Close Sabone, a great uh, French rosé that's 42 bucks. That's a very reasonable price for that bottle. And then on Reds, uh, Reds for example, they've got uh, Italian Focus here uh as well as some cabs that are very reasonably priced at you know 10 to 13 17 bucks a glass and they seem to be highlighting champagnes which i love uh and you can get a really great bottle of of champagne laurent perrier for example uh for 87 bucks so that's a that's a pretty good price point if you want to have a little more fun they've got the champagne chavost which is 160. That's a smaller uh, producer in the natural wine field, which I think is going to be a popular category uh, for them. And that's 160 bucks. So you can get spendy if you want to. You don't have to. I like a wine concept that appeals to a broad selection of people. I think sometimes wine concepts either appeal to the higher uh, end or the you know casual uh, mass production and and it's it's nice that you don't have to pick one category and you can kind of have one size fits all so i think it's a really smart thoughtful programming well and and particularly a mantras collective right if you there are there are some people who are going there to dine and get spendy at graffiti raw or uchi or marmo and then there's the chelsea and picnic that are you know a little more mid-priced so they're drawing a really wide variety of people so if you're Fioras, it just makes sense to have different options at different price points because you never know who's going to walk in the door and, and want a bottle of wine. Yeah, and and what I like most about their wine list is they're staying, for the most part, away from big distributors and big importers. So there's, you know, I always myself personally find that there's more care and more thought with the smaller guys, and that's always how I'd like to spend my money because you really know that you know, if you're supporting a producer like Drake Whitcroft out of California, 
in Santa Barbara, like I've been to that, I've been to visit him. I've been where I've seen where the wine is bottled and produced and I've done wine dinners with him. And so like, I know that if I buy that bottle, that's going to impact him. And I don't know, that's always the story that I prefer to tell. And that's how I prefer to spend my money, but that's not everybody, but just know that the ones on this list have been thoughtfully picked. And uh, I very much respect that. Absolutely. All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Mary, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about two Chinese restaurants. Let's start with Benny Chow's. This is Berg Hospitality's new restaurant. It's located on Washington Avenue, right next to B&B Butcher's. It is uh, kind of Ben Berg's love letter to the Chinese restaurants he grew up eating in New York. So, you know, places like Mr. Chow's and uh, some of these other restaurants. I want to talk to you first. Just talk to me about the experience of eating there, um, the decor, the service, and then we'll have a slightly larger conversation, try to put it in a little context, but, but just talk to me about the food. Okay. We'll start with food. Uh, the food is exceptional. I mean, it's, I was honestly very much surprised. I thought Ben Berg does a very good job at these big and bold concepts. And I thought this was going to be that, but maybe, with more emphasis on other things besides the food. I, with rare exception, and now I've had the chance to taste through, uh, I think on three different occasions I've been there between lunch and dinners and the opening. It's really good. I mean, if I thought it wasn't good, I would be the first to say it. It's honestly the best Peking duck I have ever had in this city or anywhere in this country or abroad. And I, I don't even know how they do it. The crispy duck skin checks all the boxes I like, but it's also super moist underneath. And usually with this style of dish, I find that you either get dry duck underneath and crispy skin, or you get not crispy skin and moist duck underneath. So yes, it's an expensive dish. It's 115 bucks. There were four of us at dinner when we had this dish and there was still leftovers from that duck. Yes, we had other items uh, for dinner, but you know, I think people, I really talk about this with, with my friends, with my clients, with you, our peers, my industry peers, when we're out post COVID people really want and crave experiences. And right, this right. no, place, no, no, I, I want to have that conversation with you, but I, I want to keep. But I, but the I, but the food is so good. So that would be my favorite. The cheat on the food would be for if you want the duck, but you don't want to spend 115 bucks. The duck fried rice, you still get a few pieces of that crispy duck on top. That's magnificent. Uh, the orange peel beef is, I don't even know how to describe it other than it's meat candy. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think I, I think you've identified kind of what that menu does well, because we had the beef with broccoli. You know, it comes with like a almost like an au poivre sauce on the side. I thought that was really tasty. Those egg rolls that the big fat crispy like China Garden style egg rolls, uh, except they have brisket from Truth Barbecue in them. I thought that was really tasty. The the shrimp toast uh, was maybe my favorite 
you know, just a little appetizer. And of course, you know, uh, as Ben talked about on the podcast, like one of the reasons he, he opened this restaurant was to do the cold sesame noodles. Those are you know, great. Lot, those are great. Like a lot of peanut, like a little bit of peanut kind of sweetness uh, from the sesame. But from that, from that perspective, I thought everything was really good. Uh, a couple of dishes kind of missed for me. Uh, I think it's worth noting, you know, they're trying to do kind of a dim sum thing. The crystal shrimp dumplings, they were fine, but they weren't. I liked them. Those I they liked. Were, they were fine. The, the The thing that really missed was the, was those uh, crab zalong bao, the soup dumplings. The, just the, yeah. the soup the, dumplings the, were the only miss for me. Right. And we've had them twice, you and I together. Uh, one of them pork and one of them uh, crab. And both times they were not our favorites. And one time it wasn't prepared properly. But you and I have had a lot of dishes there. So for me, it's a minor dish. But if we miss twice in two different categories of the same dish, I think that's that's their blind spot right they they just miss right the the skin is too thick the there's not they're not hot enough it's like it and it's it's a bummer just because i i love soup dumplings and i and i i look forward to ordering them everywhere i go but duck and bow is is down the street at memorial like near washington and and it's like if you want it if you're in that part of the city and you want soup dumplings like duck and bow is your duck and bow don't say duck and bow they were on the food health food violations this week Oh, you know, that means that it's never been cleaner. You know, they always right after they get popped is, is, is when it's the cleanest. Um, the, the other thing, the other thing to talk about in terms of the just just in terms of the dining experience is just how beautiful that room is. I mean, it's it is really stunning. stunning with that gold geranium, oversized geranium in the middle of the dining room and the the red silk looking painted walls, the wallpaper that like tells a story. And the service, like, obviously we were, we were there, we were there with them knowing exactly, you know, who we were and what I do for a living and all that stuff. So we had probably a veteran server who really, who really fussed over us and and took great care of us. But, but it was a really exceptional service experience. I've been there when I wasn't with you and I had a younger server who was still wonderful. Like he was a little green, but he was very attentive, uh, very thorough, never left the table, you know wanting for more, not being cared for. So I love that. But that dining room for people that grew up in Houston, as both you and I did, I learned how to use chopsticks with my grandmother, who was the food writer for the Houston Post at the time when I was a little girl and at Hunan's. And so Hunan's was like the pinnacle of fine dining Chinese at the time in the 80s and 90s. And this is the first restaurant that has brought me back to that memory and kind of that grandeur and I think because of that because the dining room is so striking and so impressive I mean this is a place you want to take a date or this is a place you want to have an important business meeting or post business deal celebration I mean this this place is really one of a kind I can't think of anything that compares to it in Houston right now and certainly not in central Houston we have such an amazing Chinatown uh, but this is so central. I know this is a, kind of a segue to what we're about to talk about, but great location. Yeah. Yes. You, you have correctly deduced the issue. So there's been this ongoing debate about, you know, whether it's appropriate, you know, people object to the name because it's, it's a pun, right? Instead of Ben eats, it's Benny Chow's, but obviously Chow is a Chinese name. And so he's kind of, he's kind of punning on the name. Like we, I talked to, I talked to a friend of mine who's, who's Cantonese, who went 
who did not have a good experience, unfortunately. And he's like, look, like you, you, you tell me from, from the moment I walk in, you, you tell me this is a Cantonese restaurant. Well, the Zalong Bao is a Mandarin word and there's a different Cantonese word for soup dumplings, but everybody knows that Zalong Bao is the, is the term that's, that's become commonplace for soup dumplings. So of course they're going to use the Mandarin word, not the Cantonese word. Now, is that like a deal breaker? No. But does it kind of show that that this idea that, oh, it's a Cantonese restaurant is maybe a little bit of window dressing? I, I think that's just I think that's just kind of part of it. This is not a restaurant that's going to compete with like Fung's Kitchen or Hai Kang or Arco Seafood or Bamboo House in terms of like drawing the Chinese community for celebratory meals, right? That no, they that don't community have the capacity is, for all the side rooms that all of these concepts do and how they cater to really large parties. Right. And, and the community is, the community is very well served by those restaurants and will continue to be. This restaurant is for people like me who grew up eating general so's chicken and beef with broccoli and pork dumplings at neighborhood Chinese restaurants and love that cuisine, Chinese American food and want a more elevated version of it. And and I think if you understand it in that context, and 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 I think if if Ben and and the whole Berg team would just sort of lean into like, it were a Chinese American restaurant, maybe drop this like Cantonese thing because they're not really a Cantonese restaurant, they'd be better off from a branding standpoint. I agree. Did we have a very delicious meal at Benny Chow's? We absolutely did. I want to go back there with my family. I want to go back there with. With friends, I want to order more of the menu. There's a whole seafood side of things that we haven't tried, lobster fried rice and everything else uh, that I still haven't had a chance to to sample. So we had a re- we had a good dinner, and and the service is great, and the room is beautiful. But but do I do I understand why my Chinese friends think the whole thing is kind of silly and overpriced? Absolutely, I I do, and 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 nothing that we are going to say or write. Is going to change we'll undo that. It's not going to change that. And it doesn't need to. This is, I would call it American, you know, American way of Chinese, whatever, whatever somebody thinks that is. This is, this is not going to replace any concept in Chinatown <laughs> or Bel Air. Right. You know, it's just not. Okay. But, but now finish, just finish your thought about the experience aspect, because I, I do think that's worth, worth mentioning. I think, you know, there's not I'm not going to say not enough, but there's there's not a lot of restaurants. I feel like and maybe I'll get in trouble for this, but you know me, I'm always getting in trouble uh, <laughs> that really cater to this kind of old guard service where it's just you walk in the door. And from the second that you walk in the door, you are taken care of until you leave. Like you feel very welcomed up a hose to stand once you're seated, you're quickly tended to, not just us, like I've watched the dining room the three times that I've been there, and people seem to be having a good time while they're there. I mean, they're they're lingering, they're ordering multiple plates to share family style, the food, every every single piece of food that comes out looks beautifully done, right? Some of these other dishes that you're talking about that we haven't had, but we've seen neighboring tables have the the thought that goes into the presentation, the drink menu, cocktail menu is great. The wine list is approachable. You can get spendy if you want to, or you can spend 60 bucks and still have a great bottle that'll go with your dinner. Uh, I just think 
it's really nice. My mom, you know, I think about myself and I think about people older and younger than me, but my mom went with a group of her friends. They gave her a choice. They wanted to take her out to dinner and uh, she picked this one out of a couple of restaurants that were offered to her and she came back and she raved about it. So I think if you can appeal to people her age, my age and younger, you've really won. And I think Ben Berg's doing a great job of that here. No, absolutely. And and the day that we were there, you know, we, we had a seven o'clock reservation. Uh, the dining room was full. Of course, they're doing Houston restaurant weeks. And then, you know, we're walking out between 930 and 10 o'clock and there's a wait. Uh, people younger, noticeably younger than we are waiting to get in to have dinner at this restaurant. And, and I, at 10 o'clock, which is crazy right. and amazing. Right. And I said to the GM, how late are you seating? And he said, well, we'll seat people until 11. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of excitement around this restaurant. And I understand why, right? Like you said, there's an experience. There's an excitement about it. This beautiful dining room, these familiar dishes that people kind of know from their neighborhood Chinese restaurants executed at a high level at a, at a, at a premium price point, but there's an excitement about it. And so I understand, I understand what I like about it. I understand what other people do not like about it. And I, you know, this is one of those where I kind of shrug my shoulders and say, if you never want to eat here, I get it. And if you love it, I get that too. Well said, sir. All right. And then just briefly, we're a little bit behind on mentioning Tim Ho Wan, the dim sum restaurant that opened in Houston last fall. It just uh, it just took me a little while to get out to Katie uh, to give it a shot. This this is a, repu- a restaurant that comes with a somewhat lofty reputation. It had a location in Hong Kong that held a Michelin star for a long time. Uh, it is currently Bib Gourmand. It, it is not starred anymore. But that does give you a sense of kind of the quality and the affordability that there. It was known as the the cheapest restaurant in the world with a Michelin star. So it 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 brings that that reputation to Houston. Uh, Mary, I I know this is this is rare for you to talk about a, a restaurant that's not just outside the loop but outside the Beltway. But but you hey. you're really enamored with you're really enamored with Tim Ho Wan. Plain I wine. love Tim Ho Wan. Uh, I discovered it in New York a couple of years ago. I was staying near uh, the location in Manhattan, and I googled dim sum, and it was a Sunday, and I was hungover, and I wanted some delicious food, and. Uh, went here and had a great time. I had it again, uh, actually, in some crazy story where I went to Hawaii to renew my passport in Waikiki uh, during COVID because it was the only office open. And it was delicious there as well. And when I heard they were opening here, I was really excited. And yes, I think it is worth the drive. I do try to hit it either to or from Austin when I'm going to a tour from there it's a little easier uh on the driving time but listen you could pick a weekend or you could pick later in the night or midday uh and avoid some of the traffic everything here is so delicious it's affordable it's good for big parties it's good for one person it's good for two i just their food is fresh it's incredibly fresh and well executed at a very affordable price point right no if you want to know what those Crystal shrimp dumplings at Benny Chow's are supposed to taste like. It's you can this. go to Tim. Yeah, it's it's the version that's a Tim Hoan. The shumai uh, with the pork and shrimp are delicious. They're I I don't know what they do to the barbecue pork buns, but they have this crispy layer on the outside that just takes that dish. It's different than any other version. Next level. It's sweet. It's salty. It hits all the flavors you want. Yeah, 
it's it's different than any other version that like which are usually mushy not that i mind because the pork is so good but the the texture on the on the dough is fantastic the pan fried noodles are great there uh, yeah i had a, a cucumber like a, a spicy cucumber dish that i really liked so you know and and like i said i went out there on a on a tuesday just to kind of check it out and and I got there pretty early, maybe eleven thirty. It wasn't very crowded. By noon, it had filled in considerably. So this is, uh, you know, even during the week, I I would say kind of be, you know, if you go on the weekends, I think you you probably will have to wait for a table. But um, and if if people haven't been out here, I mean, we officially have a second Chinatown. It's this restaurant is wonderful. There's also Fat Eatery that's in the same or adjacent shopping center. There's dozens of amazing restaurants drink shops dessert spots grocery stores it's it's worth like a weekend you know trip to just kind of walk around these centers and see what's going on it's incredible right no we had alex i young from fat eatery was on the show uh within the last couple of months uh we talked about heidi lao the hot pot place that's next to next to tim hoan uh, a year or two ago you can kind of look back in the in the archives for that but yeah, there's a there's a mala Sichuan out there. There's there's all kinds of fun stuff. So yeah, that Katie Asian Town and the shopping centers surrounding it. This one's Katie Grand, I think. Uh, a lot of a lot of really cool stuff happening out there, and in some ways more interesting to me than anything anything that I can think of off the top of my head that's opened on Bel Air in the last uh, couple of years. So I I really enjoyed Tim Hoan. I'm I'm glad I made the drive. Certainly, if you live Energy Corridor, Katie Richmond Sugarland, like. This is this is worth the trip for you. Absolutely, it's uh, we're really lucky. I mean, most cities don't necessarily have one great Chinatown. We have two. Just another point in in our favor of being one of the most diverse cities in America. Absolutely. All right, Mary. I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. That does it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Join me Thursday when my guest will be Nicholas Stone from Blue Stone Lane.